0: Why does pumpkin spice season come earlier every year? Hello, this is Jonathan Mays, Editor-in-Chief of Restaurant Business, and in this week's episode of A Deeper Dive, I speak with my colleague, Pat Kobe, Senior Editor with Restaurant Business, to drill her with questions about all kinds of food-related topics. First and foremost is the proliferation of so many pumpkin-related products from companies like Krispy Kreme, Dunkin' and Jamba, when it's still really hot outside and not particularly fall-like. We also talk about Taco Bell's partnership with Milk Bar and the proliferation of so many very limited new product introductions at fast food chains. And we go deep into a conversation about plant-based meat, specifically why McDonald's McPlant Test appeared to fall flat. It's all about fast food this week on A Deeper Dive, so please have a listen. All right, I'm here with Pat Kobe. Pat, welcome again to the podcast. Thanks, Jonathan.
1: Good to be here.
0: All right, so here's my big questions. Big question for you right now is, why on earth would Milk Bar do a deal with Taco Bell?
1: Well, supposedly Christina Tosi, who's the founder of Milk Bar, always wanted to do something with Taco Bell. She must be a fan from way back. And Mm. she said that she's been working on these truffles. It was a strawberry cream-filled truffle that she introduced. And she'd been working on it for quite a while. And a few years ago, they actually introduced some dessert-like nachos to Taco Bell employees at one of their Christmas parties. So that was the first time that they got together and tried something like that. And the nachos were a big hit. They were like drizzled with chocolate and different kinds of toppings. And so she had been wanting to do something after that. And this was what she came up with because it's portable and easy for people to grab and go. And it seems to be working well.
0: Well, and what does it do? What do you think it does for somebody like Taco Bell to have? I mean, they're not like, I mean, as you pointed out in your story on on Taco Bell and, and, and Milk Bar, it's not the first, you know, Taco Bell is not even not the first or even the second restaurant uh, chain to to serve, you know, something from from Milk Bar. You know, but certainly they're the biggest. What what does it do for somebody like Taco Bell to have you know a highly regarded dessert brand deal such as the one with Milk Bar? What what does it do for for Taco Bell? You think?
1: Well, it definitely elevates their image a bit. I think you know both Milk Bar and Taco Bell are big players on social media, and they both like you know they both create a lot of buzz when they come out with kind of unique items. And they're both known for that. So I think that's why the partnership makes a lot of sense. They both, you know, like cereal milk was Christina Tosi's first invention. And that was, who would have thought that, you know, that would be something that became so popular. I mean, it was something that we used to throw down the drain. So, But she made like a whole line of desserts using cereal milk. And Taco Bell likes to create a lot of buzz with its unique items, like, you know, things that are available just for a week and at one store. So I think that's why it works so well together. And for Taco Bell, this creates a lot of buzz for them and their fans.
0: Right. I. What do you make, by the way, of of this whole very limited LTO thing where you've got chains now, you know, certainly – KFC has become an expert at this and in other concepts where they will introduce an item either at one location while supplies last. And then of course it gets, it's over in like hours or they just have it at a really limited number of locations. And, you know, so it, it it's like they're in, it's, it's like a ultra limited LTO. What do you make of these things?
1: Well, I think it works for the chain because it, creates like an amazing amount of demand for people who live in that area. And and as I mentioned before, they, you know, they post it on social media. They feel like they're really stars because they scored one of these items. And it really creates a lot of buzz. And a lot of chains are testing things out by putting them in one location and then seeing how it flies. And then they'll they'll put it in more locations and maybe even put it on the permanent menu. You wrote something about the Mexican pizza that Taco Bell created a a while ago. So that was kind of like along the same vein, and now it's on all their menus.
0: Yeah. It's worth pointing out, by the way, on the Mexican pizza, where it was sort of portrayed as this, where they ran out of supplies. That demand was so high, they ran out of supplies. Mm -hmm. But David Gibbs, the CEO of Yum Brands, on the earnings call, called it an LTO. Called the Mexican pizza an LTO that would return permanently in September. Makes me think. Now, I'm no conspiracy theorist, Pat, (laughs) but I would suspect that that one was a bit more planned than maybe it was indicated and that they knew that it would not likely stick around for long.
1: Yeah, it sounds like that. I mean, that's kind of a ploy a lot of restaurants are using now, they say until supplies last with their LTOs. Mm-hmm. And that makes people want to run out and get it right away because they don't want to miss out. Yeah. And I think that was his strategy there. But it's also a way to work around the supply chain issues that, you know, people that restaurants have been going through the last year or so. And, you know, if you put until supplies last, it isn't your fault if they run out.
0: Well, that's, I mean, that's, I, that does kind of lead into a, a, another point that I, I think with some of these really limited LTOs, that you can get the credit for doing something like, you know, plant based chicken or plant based pizza or a fancy new dessert. You get the credit for it and, and you get the buzz, but you don't actually have the operational complexity. That might come along with having to introduce these things. You know what I mean? So you got all of these restaurants, and Taco Bell is certainly one of them that has been working very furiously to try to make their, you know, try to make their operations easier, so their drive-throughs run faster, and you know they have various labor shortages, and of course, as you pointed out, supply chain challenges, and so this way they can. You know, get the credit without actually going through the operational difficulties that might come along with adding these products to their menu.
1: Yeah, exactly. And also, they usually test it out in a store that's very close to their headquarters. So they must know that that store can handle it and execute it at a high level. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, you can pick and choose the store that has the best operational capabilities. Mm-hmm. and you can devote a lot of energy to those particular locations you know if you're only doing it at a couple of locations you you can you can certainly hand pick operators that are really really good stores that are really well staffed you can fortify those restaurants of course with with some corporate staff that can help you operate that would certainly be the case at a at a at a, at a single unit very limited run Mm-hmm. And, you know, you don't really have to worry about mass, mass things. My concern, I one of the concerns I get, especially if they're looking at these things as a potential long term item, is you really don't get a great picture of the true demand. And, I, and the and the one I'm going to bring up is the McPlant. So McDonald's plant based, it's foray into the whole plant based thing. One of the most closely watched. I think products that we're seeing in in a while in this industry because of you know certainly the there is a certain level of desire on the part of plant-based advocates for mcdonald's to introduce something like this and mcdonald's i think at the corporate level by the way pat has a really strong willingness to put a plant-based item on its menu Mm -hmm. franchisees do not by the way pat Mm. i've not yet Talk to a franchisee that really is all that eager for a plant-based menu item. Not because they are necessarily against it, but because it's just operationally difficult. They don't think it's necessary. Right. <laughs> but, so and, then they, and so, so then they started this test of eight units and eight units. And demand was strong at those eight units, right? Mm-hmm. And then they expanded it to two large markets, San Francisco and Dallas. And uh, Pat, it didn't do well.
1: Yeah, you would think that those markets would have a lot of people interested in the McPlant.
0: Oh, heavens. I mean, yeah. theoretically, at least San Francisco should have had held substantial demand mm-hmm. for that sort of thing, right? And they didn't. I mean, it's certainly not enough demand based on what we keep hearing. It's not enough demand to be able to carry that through on an expanded basis.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it really, you know, the the thinking now is generally is that McDonald's is not going to debut McPlant, certainly on a broad scale. You might see it on a local scale, but I don't know that yeah. you'll see it on a broad scale.
1: Or maybe as an LTO down the road.
0: That's probably what it will end up doing. I'm I just, I'm not sure, Pat, really about McDonald's and plant-based in the United States. I don't know, and I don't know, maybe, I'd like to know what you think about this. I don't know that the U.S. is ready for a broad-scale introduction of a plant-based burger at a concept like McDonald's.
1: I don't think their um, particular demographic really is after plant-based. So I think you're right.
0: <laughs> did you see? Did you see now what there was a, a social media post that was going out uh, on Cracker Barrel? Did you see this? No. Okay, so what was going on, you know, Cracker Barrel added, added plant-based sausage to his lineup. Right. Added it for, you know, for for those purposes. And the reaction of consumers to that particular item, at, at least you know, a lot of people, I guess, who are fans generally of Cracker Barrel pushed back and called them woke. So they're oh, not going to get a Cracker Barrel anymore and and really got angry over this.
1: Yeah, no, I I recall it now.
0: Yeah, yeah and yeah. I guess my, my, you know, my concern, I think, with 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 somebody like them, and and somebody like McDonald's, is that they have so many locations. I think in in for lack of a better term, red state America, and for whatever reason, they're you know, and I don't know why. It doesn't make any sense to me because they're designed. Their plant based burgers are targeted at at meat eaters.
1: And, mm-hmm.
0: and they're not particularly healthy. I don't care what anybody says. If you're eating one of these plant-based burgers, for the most part, it's not really healthy. I mean, it well, might be helping you with red meat, but it still is caloric and fattening and all that. Other stuff. And so, uh, I mean, it, it's generally designed for people who just sort of don't want to eat as much meat. And, and for whatever reason, people have started connecting it with woke culture, and it doesn't make it a whole lot of sense to me. And no. I think that's the problem with something at McDonald's, and it's a real challenge for if the company really wants to do this. And I don't think it has to. I don't think it has to do plant-based burger. Mm. I, I think that's unnecessary. I don't think their their consumers care.
1: Well, I don't think Burger King is is doing as well with their Impossible slime, Impossible burger now as they were in the beginning.
0: Right? No, no. Well, I mean, I, I I think that they generated a lot of buzz. See, and, and Burger King, of, of all companies, really. It, it, you could make a stronger argument that Burger King took a, a bolder step by going plant based than McDonald's did. Well, McDonald's is broad based and has a lot of rural areas, but Burger King's customer base has traditionally been young men, mm. and that Burger King has that Burger King will go after the plant base was was a, was a real real bold step and i don't know if they got any pushback at all but it did generate for a couple of quarters it actually did generate some really solid sales and it really last time that they outpaced mcdonald's and so they've really kind of kept it up because they it's no real risk for them you know they're certainly not getting the the pushback that mcdonald's you know or or you know that you know certainly the pushback that cracker barrel did Mm. but it's just interesting from that standpoint that you know burger king doesn't um hasn't had but it, yeah, you probably are seeing with them that their plant-based customers are just shifting from other products and then you have to ask if is it worth it to do that or not mm. and you know they apparently believe that it is and are continuing to go forward but you know you know theoretically if you're going to add a plant-based item, you're going to increase sales because you're going to attract customers that wouldn't otherwise go to your company. Or you're going to get customers that will come in more often because you have that option, right?
1: Right. So. Or if they come in with their kids, you don't get the veto vote. I mean, the, you yeah. know, if a mother wants a plant-based burger, she'll be able to get Yeah.
0: No, I don't mean to dominate this whole conversation about plant based. We got to get to the real meat of this whole conversation. <laughs> Pumpkin spice, Pat. Right. What you know? I'm from Minnesota, Pat, and in Minnesota we have three really good months of weather. Actually, it's more like five, and then every other month is 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 hit or miss. But five really good months of of good weather, and fall is a great season here. Mm-hmm. It's it's no there's no question. I I love fall, but I also hate fall because I know that fall leads into winter and I can't stand winter. But anyway, my issue is that, like, uh, you know, when we if we start talking about pumpkin and fall in early August, it means that summer is over. And yeah. I don't Minnesota. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, th- that rant in mind, why are we seeing so many companies? go earlier than ever really uh, introducing their pumpkin I- items?
1: Well, I think they feel that customers really want it. I mean, um, you know, Starbucks started this all 19 years ago, which I found unbelievable when I wrote the story because I didn't realize it's been going on for that long. But they're, they, I guess they all wanted to beat out Starbucks this year and they started as early as August 5th at 7-Eleven. And they say that there's consumer demand out there. Plus, a lot of the chains are now doing pumpkin spice in cold brews or in iced coffees. So even though it's summer, you can get the flavor in a refreshing drink rather than a hot cup of coffee like a latte where it all started. So, I mean, that's their—that's what they're saying is the rationale behind it. For me, it makes me really depressed to think that summer's almost over and seeing all this pumpkin spice on the shelves in the supermarket as well, Um, you know, Cheerios and ramen and and Starbucks actually isn't introducing their PSL until the end of the month, but they already have their coffee on supermarket shelves and you can get their cold brew in a can that's spiced with pumpkin. So it's, you know, it's happening earlier and earlier every year and supposedly consumers are gobbling it up.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean it's is it's I mean there there certainly is a financial reason for them to do this. Right. I mean um you when when a company you know, like if if when whenever Starbucks comes out with this pumpkin stuff it it gets a sales lift and it it seems to get a wider sales lift every year.
1: Right. Maybe they're delaying on purpose so that they build the anticipation for their fans
0: <laughs> well but, uh, yeah I mean that's that's interesting because I think it's there if, if it's August 30th which is the date that we think that they're going to be doing this
1: mm-hmm.
0: which is an inappropriate date August 30th is appropriate right August right. 4th or 5th or whatever that 7-11 is doing is inappropriate in my opinion but you know I think they it was at August 23rd last year or something like that so it's actually yeah. later this year than it had been before uh, which is probably a good thing in in my opinion, but it's kind of interesting. I, I do sort of wonder whether the reason they're doing that is for operations issues because mm. Starbucks is going through all sorts of weird stuff right now.
1: It could be, but it also, this was like one of the hottest summers on record. So maybe they're, they feel like people just aren't ready. Like they happened in the past. Yeah. No, <laughs> I mean, that's just my thinking, but. I mean, one of the people I spoke to at Caribou, which is in Minnesota, she said, you know, in Minnesota that, you know, you can get cool weather in September or it could still remain really hot in September. She said it could be 90 or it could be 40. So they wait until the very end of August to introduce their pumpkin spice products because they don't feel like, you know, they want to cut the Minnesota summer short, just like you don't
0: that's right they're 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 minnesotans which means they're practical and they're smart and fall doesn't really you know really begin until september and i mean they're right actually the weather here does get really weird that month and you know which certainly influenced because they're really i mean caribou is still the dominant coffee chain in in my neck of the woods Mm. and so you know the weather here Really do- should influence the sort of thing that they, you know, that you know how they introduce something like that. Probably should play a, a significant role. But now we we see a lot of companies now. I mean, probably more chains than ever are at least preparing some sort of pr- pumpkin stuff.
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, Duncan is launching theirs next Wednesday, but they announced it on this past Wednesday. So it's coming out on the seventeenth. So they're earlier than they were last year, and they have more products available too. Yeah. Wow. So every year it seems like that you know, like a lot of the chains add another pumpkin spice beverage to the lineup or pumpkin spice bakery item.
0: Yeah. Now, how does this compare with other seasons? I mean, like I don't think that there's any other real situation like this, and it's it's basically an annual thing though, right, Pat?
1: Yeah. Oh, definitely. Like as one uh, as the caribou um, operator said, it's table stakes now if you're a coffee concept. Yeah. And it's it just
0: because there's nothing else like I don't know. Is there anything else in any any sector or any time of year where you see a single flavor or menu type generate this level of consumer enthusiasm this broadly at a single path. I just can't think of anything. I mean, maybe yeah. coming at Christmas is the only thing that really is along the same lines. I just don't see anything else that generates this kind of, you know, this level of, of, of annual enthusiasm on, on such a broad basis. And it's not just coffee either.
1: Right. Well, it's there's nothing like pumpkin spice, but McDonald's tries with their Shamrock Shake to you know shake things up around St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. So that's something that people really look forward to as well. But it's only one chain, although it is McDonald's. But
0: yeah, I don't even know if McDonald's really plays in the pumpkin spice game all that much. I mean, I think they've done. I mean, you can make an argument, by the way, that they're the ones that are the granddaddy of this whole pumpkin thing in the first place. Because they used to have their pumpkin pie every year. Mm. And then I think, you know, in what I know of the history of the pumpkin spice wars, Pat, it was, you know, McDonald's was roughly the first concept that that would really have it on an annual basis. And then I think it was Dairy Queen with its pumpkin pie blizzard and IHOP with their pumpkin pancakes. Mm -hmm. They're marvelous products and I love them. But then I think Starbucks just put this whole thing into the stratosphere with its pumpkin spice latte.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think it—you know—they work. I think it's also the um, syrup companies who came out with the idea first that sort of spurred the, you know, the whole trend of pumpkin spice because they have the syrup that's really easy to add to a coffee drink.
0: Right. Oh yeah, I guess that's a really good point. So, so this is all just driven by big syrup. Is that what you're saying?
1: Well, so, I mean, some of the chains don't use the syrup. Like Caribou uses a pumpkin sauce instead. That you know, that's made with real pumpkin. But most of the chains use a syrup or some kind of flavoring.
0: Yeah, Well, I'm not sure you necessarily need to put real pumpkin in that. For the record. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, so the the next. Point is, we're uh, French toast sticks, Pat. Yes. Um, I can't have you on this podcast this week in this particular era without talking about French toast sticks. Because we now have a verifiable French toast stick war on our hands. Burger King <laughs> is now offering free French toast sticks. Burger King is the first. What? Where the hell did this come from?
1: I don't know. I guess, you know, it's sort of like a back to school kind of trend. That's what I can see it linked to, but Burger King has always had French toast sticks mm-hmm. on their menu. Um, you know, they were the first in 1986, which I couldn't believe they go back that far. But I, um, you know, Wendy's came out with their version this week. It adds to their breakfast menu because they never really had anything sweet on their breakfast menu, which. And you've written a lot about Wendy's breakfast and how successful it's been. But there wasn't something that was like a sweet grab and go kind of breakfast that kids would really like. So I think this really ties into the whole back to school time and something that's portable and grab and go, which a lot of people are looking for now that, you know, they're so used to that in their routine. So, yeah, there's a real French toast stick war on.
0: Yeah. All right. French toast sticks are delicious. Don't get me wrong. It's just it's just kind of funny. There's also, like, I think Jack in the Box reintroduced their French toast sticks as well.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
0: you know, I'm just waiting to hear Sonic start offering, because I think they have French toast sticks.
1: Yeah, they have them, too. And I think McDonald's has had them on and off. They don't have them on the menu right now, but they have had them on and off, you know, as LTOs. Yeah.
0: But the, the sweet thing that you bring up is actually a really, really good point, because sweet items, you know, like... it's sometimes in, in, uh, they are often different customer bases. And I think that's something that McDonald's has talked about, you know, for a while back when they started offering a lot of their pastries and stuff like that. One of the reasons was to get at, you know, the customer base that prefers to have sweet things at breakfast rather than the things that they've traditionally served, which is generally savory. So I think that's really uh, so I think it's fascinating one to me.
1: Well, they go really well with pumpkin spice latte.
0: Yes, I yes. You can go out, get a pumpkin spice latte and some <laughs> French toast sticks, and you've really hit the, hit the back to school crowd. Definitely. Yeah, uh, super. Pat, this was fantastic. Thanks for joining me this week on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. And that should do it for this week's episode of A Deeper Dive, which was edited, as always, by Kimmy Kazmerik. artwork by Nico Hines. You may find this and other episodes of the podcast on our website at www.restaurantbusinessonline.com backslash article backslash deeper dash dive. You may also find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and all sorts of other channels where you get podcast stuff. I'm Jonathan Mays, your host, podcast producer, and the editor-in-chief of Restaurant Business. Thank you for listening.